You can kind of smell it, can't you? Something changing in crypto. The air is different, the vibe is different. There's some kind of strange energy, maybe a little bit of euphoria, not an insignificant amount of trepidation, but really it's this odd charged feeling, that kind of peace which comes only before something monumental. It's a sometimes unwelcome feeling, a sometimes unsettling feeling, and we're all feeling it a little bit differently. A lot of that has to do simply with the dramatic price increases in cryptocurrencies at large over the past few weeks. That's all, but that's huge, especially because this has been a prolonged and trying bear market and might continue to be. And for men accustomed to the dark, even these first glimmers of hope can seem blinding. Now, I don't know if this upturn in crypto's fortunes and by extension, God willing, crypto arts fortunes is real or whether it's just a fake out, but it's interesting to see how people are reacting to it. And it's especially interesting to see how people are reacting to one thing in particular, the apparent return to crypto and crypto art of people who vanished somewhere during the bear market, hoping to await better times elsewhere. While I personally am not aware of many folks who are coming back into this world after an extended absentee stint, the conversation itself feels very much worth having especially because so many of us spent the past year and a half or so trying to scrape together enough cash to keep going, innovating, discovering new ways to communicate our messages. It seems a pertinent and personal issue, that of the prodigal son returning to crypto art. Colborn and I are alone on this episode today, and we're talking about why the various attitudes towards these theoretical returners, some complimentary, some very vitriolic, have emerged, whether they're fair, whether our attitudes towards, say, artists would be the same as those we have towards collectors, the difference between Beeple and Pac, all sorts of things. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to Colborn and I's conversation on whether you can ever truly come back home again to crypto art on this week's Mocha Live podcast. Welcome everybody to another week of the Mocha Live podcast. It is 6.31 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in New York. It is 8.31 a.m. local time here in Kanazawa, Japan. My name is Max Cohen. I will be one of your hosts for the Mocha Live podcast today and joining me, my trusty co-host as he does every week, the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, Colborn Bell. Colborn, how are you? I'm wonderful. It's been a, a long day but exciting. Excellent. Um, well, hopefully the excitement only continues. I always love a chance to just have one of these, just the two of us podcasts, just like we did at the beginning. So let's just jump right in. I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah. Well, well it's early. <laughs> so I'm experiencing a whole rush of emotions. I'm undergoing some gastrointestinal distress. So that could be causing some kind of like buildup in my tear ducts, but that's neither here nor there. I knew you were, that was metaphorical by the way. So obviously the most notable thing to happen in crypto art in the last, I don't know, two weeks or so is a reflection of the larger cryptocurrency market, which is that there is this prolonged or seemingly prolonged, comparatively prolonged upswing for the first time in quite a while of the prices of everything. And this kind of generally roused enthusiasm 
that is kind of returning, maybe not to like the internal crypto art world, but to the sphere in which it all sits. And we've noticed a very interesting situation playing out in the community, which is this growing discourse about people returning to crypto and returning to crypto art who may have stepped away during the bear market. On Twitter, somebody, uh, K Money, posited that, quote, people criticize the people that made a bag and took a break before coming back when things are heating up. But in my opinion, they won. And the lead dev at Cyber Brokers, Ben, responded to that with, by saying people have the opportunity to show up, make a bag and leave because of the work people do in the bear to build things worth investing in. So there seems to be this push and pull between some folks saying, no, it's great that you made your money in crypto. You got out when it became mentally stressful or I don't know, some kind of a threat to your (laughs) mental or physical health. And now that it's, you know, there's an opportunity for you to kind of settle back in and do so safely, healthily, we're happy to have you back. And on the other side, I think a lot of scorn from people who had no other choice but to stay in crypto art, whether financially or emotionally or um, historically. And by quote unquote building through this bear market, they have developed quite a distaste for people who are coming and going as they please. So I really wanted to talk about this topic today because it seems like, I don't know, I don't know my way through this forest. So discourse right now is very acerbic and very assaultive. And I want to kind of avoid that tone throughout this podcast, which I think we'll be able to do, but it's an issue that's gripping many people right now. Um, So just on this very, um, as an opening question, Colborn, how do you feel about a a theoretical person, right? The totally imaginary, like stand in for a person who did well for themselves during a bull market, then disappeared during the bear market and are now kind of reappearing. Yeah, I'm going to rewind it a little bit because this is like such an imaginary conversation because we're not back, right? Uh, October was was lowest sales for NFT art period, or at least in the last two and a half years. So this is just like a conversation that people are having. They've invented. Nobody has actually like come back and tried to make a big sale or, you know, there have been maybe maybe this has to do a bit with Pac. I know Pac kind of rubbed some people the wrong way, released something, and people started arguing over his legacy, but people are bored. Uh, they're inclined to be fighting. And yeah, crypto markets are picking up. So, you know, there's, there's money to be made and there's resentment kind of abound. You know, how do I feel about people coming back? I think, you know, there is a, a saying that, what is it? Pioneers get slaughtered and settlers prosper. Uh, <laughs> so I haven't heard so, that one. That's genius. You don't know that one. Yeah. And you either are, or you aren't, you know, you either love the thrill of being on the cutting edge of this and building with people and being in the mix and coming to it every day because it's a challenge and because it's difficult, or, you know, you, you kind of run in the middle uh, you, you like work with popular crowds, you want to like move the masses and you drive attention to yourself in these hype moments. And, you know, I know which one I am and I don't really, um, at this point, I don't really care. You know, I just know, I know who I am. And, but I think a lot of people who 
are on the, the edge of these things that are bringing the value that do show up every day, it can be easy to be resentful of the people who kind of settle in when the getting is good. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, of course. And I understand the resentment on people's parts. But doesn't it seem to you like there is some kind of... And, and I have no thoughts either way. A lot of this is kind of just like off the cuff. But doesn't it seem like there's a strange... It's almost antithetical, these two ideas, right? To be upset at people coming back when things are getting good. And to also like crave wider adoption of crypto. Like... You're just you're you're just never going to have a situation where more people care about crypto art, but the you know one percent of the one percent that's going to stay here through all these bull markets, like that's the thing that never changes, right? The core of the thing, the like true unconvertible believers, those people are never going to change. We're not trying to attract; it's impossible to attract more of those people. They're probably a lot of them already here and have been here longer, certainly than I have. The people that you would attract would be these kinds of, I don't know, to use your parlance, border settlers, right? Who are kind of showing up on the fringes, maybe jutting out into kind of the central you know, system of this thing, but are not staking, having their lives played out here. They are not, you know, making their social milieu, they're not composing it of all artists and builders and Web3 folks. So I don't know, There's th- that dichotomy is interesting to me to feel because I, I just think it's a it's misplaced expectations i mean the whole thing is wildly irrational right it, it you can think of it as you know it is still kind of crazy that we're online selling jpegs you know and you really gotta pull people on so you know what does it mean to own this digital content especially when for so long it was given away for free we're really working kind of backwards and trying to bring people up a, a really difficult cliff. So, you know, bu- building infrastructure, I know how difficult it is. Building a platform, it's really, really difficult. You know, the, the people that have the, the luxury to step in and out as they choose are generally the users of these platforms. And, you know, it's no coincidence that OpenSea Right, they went from pretty much nothing to a thirteen billion dollar company, and and another back to nothing. Another <laughs> back to nothing. You know, writing out the whole thing. Uh, it's it's the nature of this space. So the people that kind of get the the privilege of of stepping in and out as they wish um, are for the most part the the creators, and I think it's totally totally fair as an artist to go explore what it's like to you in that moment. Um, you know, do I love that so much of art now is tied up in, in marketing? Uh, do I wish people stayed and, and shared? Yes, but how, how, you know, how do you expect them to continue to release stuff, release stuff in, in markets that are, I think, fictitiously built on this idea of scarcity? Well, so that's an awesome segue into a question that I'm really interested in discussing, which is whether our answers and thoughts about this change, depending on what the person who's returning is or does, right? Because like, let's take the artist category. We are obviously all sympathetic to the necessities of life as an artist, right? And and how difficult it is to be an artist and how difficult mentally and financially 
it is to actually like invest your whole being into creating art, crypto art. You know, I think we would all be forgiving of folks who had a financial reality that didn't allow them to constantly be minting on the blockchain and spending their time marketing on Twitter. If they were an artist, I think most of us would have space to would have space to give space to artists who are, you know, quote unquote returning. Where I think the answer begins to change in my mind is like a collector, right? That has had a had, that has already proven themselves to be at least somewhat interested in deploying large amounts of funds at some point and is kind of just coming only in and out in a way that seems to benefit themselves financially. And I wrote about this earlier earlier this summer, but this necessity of collectors in the space to do more to evoke the intentions of their collections, right? Because within these collections, artworks are able to take on so much more meaning. They're able to connect with other pieces around them because we kind of on the whole lack gallerists and because despite, you know, the countless calls for curation, there really isn't that much curation here. It's in the collections of collectors in which these works are kind of unintentionally uh, curated and then seen. And so the power of the collector is really, really palpable and their role is really, really important. And I think most collectors are not necessarily reflecting that role to begin with, even those who have stayed here. But then we bring in these folks who may have, may just be dipping in for every you know bull market, may be sitting on a lot of crypto, maybe collecting a bunch of you know art from the ecosystem, sapping it out and then disappearing again, hoping that in 10, 15 years, it'll make a return on investment. At least that's the, I mean, you can even hear it in how I'm speaking with these kind of general theoretical, or I'm sorry, these general like um, hypothetical individuals, right? There's so much more, I'm even just so much more acidic towards this like faux idea of the collector dipping in and out than the than the artist. And I'm sure that you know, if you gave me another 10 to 15 minutes, I can come up with another hypothetical about developers, et cetera. I'm curious, like, how do you feel about this you know, idea of leaving and returning if the person is an artist versus the person is a collector versus the person is a platform developer, a Kevin Rose type figure? Uh, yeah, you know, this is kind of what really irks me when people who have platforms kind of like shine the spotlight, remove the spotlight, learn the lingo, you know, A16Z, Chris Dick, they were like notorious for this, right? Like learning the lingo, co-opting the lingo, shining the spotlight when it's convenient and pulling it away. Uh, I think Kevin Rose did that also, you know, this, these are all matters of conveniency. I think, you know, here's a good story is that, I don't know if you know it or not, when Dead Mouse came into the space, you, you can check out his first piece on Super Rare. Uh, it's called Stead Mouse. And it's just a almost like a, a note. And it says Dead Mouse NFT Masterclass 1, make low effort NFT 2, Start a clubhouse room and invite the crypto Illuminati and various millionaires and influencers. Three, say community three times. Four, question mark, question mark, question mark. Five, profit. You know, welcome to bottle popping 2.0. At least artists are happy to have finally found a way to fuck people over harder than any major label ever could. Neat. And I think this encapsulates a time. And this was amazing, right? This was minted March 10th, 2021. And this is really when... Uh, the, the EDM marketers and the influencers stepped into the space and were learning about this, right? This was right before the $69 million Beeple sale. And what people did, you'll see in the transaction history, is they just bid zero on it. They bid zero, 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 zero. 
because it's like, who is this person who could be doing anything they want coming in, making this low effort bullshit and trying to reap profit from it when everybody had worked so hard to build it up from nothing. It was really, really offensive. And I think that is kind of the same, you know, if the, Generally, like the problem with celebrity and influence is there is no responsibility, Mm -hmm. right? And people have very short memories. They only see that number. They might be attracted to that number. People might present and pitch themselves a certain way. There's 140 characters. And, you know, the past is, is in many cases, just the past. Who is it? Floyd Mayweather, who like started making, he made like eight or nine different PFP projects and was just extracting millions of dollars from a bunch of people and then abdicating his responsibility at the top of these projects altogether. And all of, I mean, all of these celebrities who were being clearly paid by, you know, whether it was, you know, moon pay or this or that PFP project, you know, like, I think it was like Antonio Brown was paid by some project, the former Steelers receiver who and famous ne'er do well, I don't know, famous asshole. Think he's even worse than that but they would like pay him to make some tweets about a pfp project and again like you said no responsibility it's just coming in and trying to extract something from the community and also i think that like that applies to the a16z folks that you mentioned and also like i don't know enough about him to make a real generalization but like when i saw a couple of weeks ago however long that was when kevin rose bought that 16 million dollar house in california or something along those lines and had either shut down the Moonbirds project. I don't remember exactly what it was or like laid off a bunch of the team. I was like, again, this abdication of responsibility, this like taking all of the, all the profit, so to speak, from these positions of leadership and social, I don't know, I guess I'll just t- reaping the rewards of social leadership and then not actually like using that place to, input anything back into the community, just only acting as an extractive agent. And I think that these are very high profile situations. Obviously, anytime we have these very recognizable figures, the multimillionaires, the actual celebrities, it's going to be, it's going to drown out every story of every, you know, artist who wasn't able to, you know, meet their rent working on art. So they had to go back to an, some kind of nine to five job and have been struggling. And now with crypto heating up again, like that, those stories, you know, brilliant as they are and as powerful evocations of the human spirit as they are just not going to be as sexy as you know paris hilton and jimmy fallon talking about bored apes on the fucking tonight show i think all of these i think all of these profiles in the extreme are really really important and i think you know there's there's nothing more you know suggestive or exemplary than probably what happened with people and what happened with pack and you know pack disappeared and I think that's probably why we're here. I think that's probably why people started talking because he released some animated thing. And and I think largely was absolutely tore apart um, by people saying like, get this guy out of here. But but people, even though he sold the, the ETH when he got it, he stayed, right? And he went and he For built sure. this thing in, in South Carolina. And, you know, you, you have to respect that. Even if he, you know, he chose his partners as he did, that's all good fun and well but he's holding events at these things he's doing live drawings so you know he he took that mantle and and at the end of the day i think he 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 earned it and he he proved himself to kind of be here for it 
That's an interesting point of view. I, I, cause I know we've been critical of people in the past for the partnership with Yuga and the kind of like whoring out of the CryptoPunks brand for the sake of, you know, Yuga's profit, which is obviously what Yuga wants in the first place by buying CryptoPunks and kind of like merging these things together ideologically, right? Like this OG vibe of CryptoPunks with the very, very, very corporate brand ideology of Yuga. But I really do think that that's an important point that yes, this dude is here. And even if, you know, even if you take away the events, the Yuga partnerships, he's interacting with the space in a way which feels really real. The everydays are interacting with what's going on here. This is a mind that's clearly interested in being around and at least even in, in a tangential way, right? Just looking at the most popular stories of the day, even if that's PFP shit, even if that's, you know, whatever Pepe derivative is happening, like it is some kind of interaction. I don't know much about PAC, um, admittedly. I know that he or they or whoever PAC is has drawn plenty of ire from the community before. I know that they're the highest selling crypto artists ever right or nft artists or whatever you want to call it like i mean it's, i know i know that there was the merge right it, it was like a collection of many 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 pieces but it still made like 91 million dollars on a single drop um and i do think it's interesting you know we have these extreme examples right i think it's important to use these extreme examples because they do put certain things in a perspective and when you do have these two artists at the financial apex of this space right like Pac and people who have both made uh, what are we up to? Eight figures, right? That's eight figures. High eight figures on, yeah, I see your eyes moving just to make sure, right? Nine is a hundred million. So maybe yes. low nines, low nines, high eights. <laughs> like yeah. it is interesting to see the different split, right? This idea of like, oh, I, I made more money than I could ever spend in my life. I'm going to go fuck off. And then I'm going to come back maybe, you know, to fart around or to take something else that I need from this. And then you have another person who's like, I made more money than I can ever make in my life. What am I going to do now? Well, I might as well keep farting around within the community that helped me make, you know, this gargantuan amount of money. And it's, yeah. uh, and it's like, go. it's the, the, the question is like, what do you need and what do you believe? Right? So dead mouse didn't need to come in here. We didn't need dead mouse in here. We didn't want dead mouse in here, you know, but he felt the need to, to put this thing on the blockchain uh, at a time that was really exciting for people. And that's why it was, it was a major fuck you. And, you know, when PAC talks about coming back, that's kind of, again, why it's a major fuck you, because how could you ever, you know, recover from distributing all of these things to so many people and selling them like little white circles and saying, you know, combine them and, you know, who looks stupid is the people that did that. And, you know, when you make thousands of people look like a fool, then, it's not, it's not really art, you know, it's, it's socially manipulative in the way that, you know, these, some, you know, like the best, best scammers in this space can be. Well, I, I think that we have to look at each situation. Uh, we definitely don't do enough of this in crypto art, but this is a, a, maybe even just like a human psychological problem with these sweeping generalizations when, point of fact is that most things are need to be judged on a case-by-case -case basis because you know the third part of the trifecta of the most successful crypto artists obviously at least financially reputationally is x copy and x copy is outside of this conversation altogether right i don't think there's mm. any doubt in anyone's mind that x copy is a integral part of crypto art but x copy will still take long periods of time off between dropping works and kind of go in this radio silence period. And no one really says anything or has a problem with that. 
the difference being that, you know, or I guess not the difference being all of these people have been in crypto art since the beginning, but you kind of get some inoculation against the coming and the going because of how long you've been here, where you've been in the interim, you know, what you've been doing in that time. And maybe we're not paying enough attention to each individual and what they're doing in these periods in which they're here. So take, for example, like, I don't know, let's say like even the activities we do at the museum, right? Like it's not like we're bringing in tons of money. It's not like we're exploiting the community for X, right? It's not like we're, you know, if the museum were just dissolve one day, right? Just like go away or not even go away, but just go radio silent. All of, all of us, right? Just nothing. Well, we're, we haven't come here to extract anything and then returned with the intention of extracting anything in the first place. And that intention in those moments that we're here, then are going to inflect back on whatever moments are happening in the interim, how long we're away. It's not just about, and I think this is probably where a lot of the anger comes from. It's not just about these people who are coming back. It's about why they're perceived to be coming back and what they did the last time they were here, which is this Pac situation on its face, right? Last time that Pac made like a large scale appearance within crypto art, minting work and kind of being involved was to extract a ton of value from the space and not as far as we, you know, put very much of it back in. I mean, I know Pac just bid on Trevor Jones piece. Um, I'm not saying that Pac is not involved in supporting other artists, but you know, when you're make $91 million and keep most of it, like that's just money that is not coming back into the ecosystem for the most part. Um, and I would love for Pac to challenge us on that and provide a list of all of the things that they have been <laughs> purchasing in the interim, <laughs> but you get my meaning. I mean, like, and look, nobody is going to always be able to follow what every single other person is doing. Right. But you have feelings about that. You know, you have some sentiment about the way they behave. There are some associations. Uh, you know, I think the museum project was always a sacrifice and labor of love. Nobody was ever going to get like rich off of this. It doesn't Not keep yet. the lights on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that's fine. You know, it's just, it's going to sit as a moment in time. And, you know, we can hopefully continue to just like do this and, and, and reflect and, but whatever it's, it's not really about us because we didn't leave and come back. So I am curious to see definitely the ways in which people will choose to participate moving forward, because whatever we're moving into is not how it was going to be in the past. And I hope that people will be more wise in, in this next cycle. First cycles are, are crazy. It's really, really wild. So you lean on a lot of, you know, the initial infrastructure, but things are going to roll over. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that value always, always accrues irrationally. Uh, if it accrued rationally, if people cared about the art, you know, we wouldn't have lost things like async and we wouldn't have lost things like JPEG. Mm. Um, yeah, shout out Conlon, shout out Maria Paula just on yeah. the space great projects great people totally yeah you're absolutely right but again like I, those are great examples those two people specifically because if those two people disappeared for two years didn't have any interaction with web3 and just showed up two years from now not a single person would have a problem with it because the strength 100%. of what they were building when they were building it and what the point of those things were as opposed and, and like 
the long trail you leave behind, I mean, the record of your work on the blockchain, the record of your work in people's minds, those who remain through this, because that's, I mean, in a sense, what we all are is we are like real time recorders of the history here because there's too much history to actually be recorded in any kind of legitimized sense. So we're all just kind of like cataloging in our own specific way and using the blockchain as like almost as like accoutrement to that. Um, so again, folks like Conlon and Maria Paula, if they were to just bounce until it were economically feasible for them to come back or restart a new company, like they get that grace because of what they have put into the community. And that's yeah, given the difference between being extractive and being impactive. What's the opposite of extractive? Insertive? I don't know. I don't know either. I'm the writer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, Additive? you get my meaning though. Additive, maybe. I, that's probably what it is. Thank you, Goldborn. Um, but yeah, that's what you get when you're additive and not extractive at any point is you get to kind of have the grace to move more freely, but when you're going to extract value, you know, there's the two kinds of value that exist in crypto art. There's the financial value. Great. We all understand that. And there's this more abstract cultural value that you get from being here that you get by having access to these connections that you get by engaging with all these platforms and all these developers and kind of sitting on the cutting edge having this front row seat to some great future adoption of this bleeding edge technology. And you do lose that if you are going to be extractive without putting anything back. I mean, it goes back to this Beatles quote, right? The, my father has tattooed on his rib cage in the end, the love you make is equal, the love you take is equal to the love you make, right? Like it, there, there is this kind of generally understood and generally remembered record of what you put into the space versus what you're taking out. But at the same time, I'm not sure there's a way to avoid this paradigm ever. This is just the nature of this game because people's attentions are going to change and the necessities of their life are going to change, A. And the more people come into the space, which is what we uh, essentially all want so that this rising tide can lift all the crypto art boats, is going to bring in people who are going to have more of an interest, at least initially, in being extractive over um, additive. So... Is there a way to avoid this paradigm or, or is just acceptance of this the name of the game? Like people got to leave. I don't know why you would stay. You have to kind of be crazy to stay. Yeah. You know, I, uh, <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's bills to pay and mouths to feed. And generally, you know, the, generally we lose kind of the best people. Um, so, you know, to, to get way out on the edge and be here, and continue to like believe in it that is something special and i think you know people who are building you know whatever comes next in this uh you know i i hope i hope they will get rewarded but you know i think that was kind of our commitment as a museum and that's why it was kind of foundational it, it was basically saying like we're gonna sit here with the artists and we're gonna ride this out you know, at a time when there there was no market, it's like, this is so fascinating that we need to just sit here and observe, right? And we need to record and see what you're all going to do. And it has been, you know, on this side, like many years of early mornings and late nights. And, and you know, whatever, sacrifices aside, it's been fascinating, right? I can't think of anything that has been more stimulating, engaging these conversations. So... It's almost like, how could you leave? But it's true. You, yeah. you know, most people don't have the luxury of, of like immersing themselves in 
the philosophy of the bleeding edge of this tech. Which is why we put together a foundational text of crypto art mini series of podcasts so that you don't have Check to immerse out. yourself. We'll immerse you for you. We'll immerse you for you. I don't like that phrase. Dive we'll, right we'll immerse in. you. There's something we talked about the other day, and which is, I think, what led to the kind of genesis of this podcast topic is the tenor of conversation right now in crypto art. Obviously, this kind of can you return to crypto art topic is where a lot of the is the arena in which a lot of this antagonism is playing out. But this is a very punchy, very punchy and kind of like trigger happy space at the moment. People are ready for a fight which is interesting to me considering that the larger cryptocurrency market is having this kind of momentary well we'll see how momentary it is but be it momentary or long term having this first euphoria in really like a year and a half two years like it's been maybe a year and a half is more accurate but it's been a long time since there's been like a couple weeks of good news um and it seems like there's been a couple weeks of like really good news at least on the price side so i'm curious why you think that there's this dichotomy between good in the larger atmosphere and just more intense kind of infighting and antagonism within the crypto art niche niche. Yeah. Cause people are fighting for legacy right now, right? They're, mm. they're fighting and trying to justify what they did, which is either defending their bags or, you know, saying that this was valuable and innovative and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's basically the history is going to be written by the people that are still around so that's why they're fighting is because there's so few of us and people are, are defending their bags. Protect your bags at all costs. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I, well, do you think that like, so I, I want to hang on that thing you said, right? The history will be written by those who stayed because I, well, I guess I just want to push back on that, right? If there are a thousand people who stayed, Pindar Van Arman once told me he doesn't think there's more than a thousand active wallets in crypto art. If there's a thousand wallets here right now, and let's say this, you know, economic upswing of crypto continues over the next, I don't know, six months, and we get a hundred thousand wallets coming in, people who are trying to make a quick buck, how does that thousand person cohort continue to leave the legacy? If these other people coming in are going to be largely extractive from what people here have been building and are going to take more and more from what people here have been building, are going to use, I don't know, the equivalent of async to make a bag for themselves and then leave async to die. How can we continue to assert, not we as in me, but like we continue, like, you know, collectively, I mean, continue to know, assert our place as history makers? Yeah, I, I think crypto is, is a social game, right? And I think it's about telling those stories. You know, and I think a couple of people will, you know, most people will come for the speculation if the speculation does return, right? I am like so confident that we cannot see a similar, similarly sized speculative wave on Ethereum. Where do you think it's going to go, Colborn? I don't know, dude. Yes, you, you know, do. I, <laughs> where's it going to go? I'm not going to say it. You got to say it. Gonna, I can't say it. No, it's not going to go there. It can't go know. there. It might go there. It might go there. You know, I, I'm, I am for sure concerned with it getting wider, right? And if it goes in more places, frankly, that's better, right? And if the price comes down, that's better. I think, you know, for better or for worse, all of these things will be incredibly scarce. They, they probably will not move that much. We know most art in the real world only gets bought once. 
So however many people are really looking to kind of like flip and turn something over, especially on the art side, art on Ethereum, I don't know. I think that window gets really, really narrow. So, you know, I think this is going to speak to like the birthing, the generation of like this movement. It's going to carry and spread so many different ways. Uh, and what is most important is that we did it, right? We kind of did what we said we were going to do. And that for me, that feels good. That feels like probably better than, uh, you know, on the, on the converse pack sitting at home with $90 million. That would feel pretty good too. It might not, not if everybody hates you. Uh, yeah, I honestly, that's a great question. If you're listening to this, please let us know on, uh, any of the comments here on YouTube or on Twitter, whether you'd rather have people care about you, but not very much money or $90 million and everyone hates you. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, first experiment with asking people to comment on stuff. A real barn burner of a question on that one. So I want to talk about one more aspect of people, quote unquote, returning to the space, but it's not artists. It's not collectors. It's not developers. It's not sexy. It's not big names. It's this mass wave of like the flippers, right? These people who are only coming because they can make a quick buck, who only came in the first place because they make, could make a quick buck. They transparently have no interest in any of the finer points of this. They are just going for where the money is. I hate them if you want. At least they are transparent with their aims. If the market comes back in any way, those people will come. That will be most of the people returning will be folks who already have wallets set up, already have history doing this, already know how to you know purchase from a manifold contract or something like that, or purchase or you know list things on OpenSea because they did it in 2021. And are now returning because the economic situation at large is um, appealing enough for them to maybe be able to start flipping things again. What does it mean for crypto art and kind of our whole world when those people start returning? Because we can talk all day about the artists who, you know, the pox or whoever founders. You know, who are coming there, back. What, what, you know, there are like true patrons in this space. Right. But the people that really made the market that made the profits for the most part, where did they come from? They came from the venture capital or, or the hedge fund world. Right. They saw a trade. They saw some asymmetric risks and they saw the upside and and they made their play. Right. A lot of like poker players went into and were trading punks. So there are these people that are programmed for the gamble. Now, whether they see it again in art, uh, I, I don't know. You know, I think probably one of the, the all-time great traders of this was to Yeah Yeah. I think he was the one that sold right-click save and, um, you know, some other pieces for astronomical amounts. And, you know, that's somebody I think of really fondly, right? That was somebody that came in and paid what felt like an exorbitant price at the time. But damn, in six months, if they didn't, like, make it worth it so you know there's there's always somebody out there that is willing to to take a risk and you know they've said it again and again and again the artist there's always a bigger whale right so that's why you know on on this part you really got to come in with kind of like no ego about it i think the people that came in in the short term with the ego were the ones that really got chased 
but but I'm thinking of even like lower level, right? Like not these poker players who are coming in betting on punks, but like these flippers but, who are turning a your average art blocks project in from you know uh, they're minting it out in thirty seconds and the price is skyrocketing. Like the again the for every one of these poker players who are exchanging punks, you have ten thousand retail investors, right? And those people, I think, are the danger, not the danger for in sure. a negative way, but like the danger in the impactful way, right? Those are the people who are going to change the paradigm itself because like piranhas, they're just going to snap things up and the market is going to respond to their frenzy, right? As opposed to the poker player who's making these, the, the, the two yaya who's making these educated bets, these piranhas are just going where there's any perceived meat on the bone, right, wrong, I'm not discerning that. And maybe Piranhas is too loaded of a metaphor, but look, the, the, the middle gets washed. The middle gets washed every single time. That is the 90% that is not moving again. Right. Because if you are, if you're not in it, if you're not like you're, you're either hunting for that deal and you are looking to flip up and you are telling everybody why, what you have just acquired at the high end is the most rare, beautiful, incredible, impressive thing that has ever existed. And you, somebody needs to pay 10 times the amount that you paid right? You either need to be there, but I'm telling you, I'm telling everybody right now to whoever's listening, you don't want to be caught chasing the middle, right? It's all of that stuff that everybody rushed into. You know, there is, uh, you know, no matter what, there is a chance that somebody could pay more than $69 million for that people are work, right? There could be somebody out there. There's always a bigger whale. There could be somebody that wants that. And, it doesn't really matter what Medico Van paid at the time, right? They could afford it, but there's always somebody out there that can come over it. But like, it's all that stuff in the middle that I get worried about. That is what leaves the nasty taste in people's mouth. The stuff like the merge where people end up feeling played. They don't want to participate again. They're never coming back. They're going to tell their friends they got absolutely washed. And that's kind of also, you know, why I thought a lot of, the economics that Nifty Gateway was playing around with in the beginning was so dangerous for the space. Can you say more about that? Yeah, you know, just... Um, like the open edition thing? Yeah, the open editions or the fact that, you know, it it felt like there was not real money in those markets, like always buying everything that was released that night immediately on the secondary market for 20, 30, 40, 50% more. Right. So when you give retail a chance, you know, to make a hundred dollars in 10 minutes of work, well, you better fucking believe they're coming back for the next drop and they're probably telling their best friend. Yeah. You know, but I'll tell you what they're not doing is they're not cashing out. Mm -hmm. They're not taking those profits. They're, they're going to sit at the table until the money's gone. Yeah, that's fair. That's exactly what I did in the world of Solana PFPs. I sometimes I sometimes look at my like Solana wallets and like what I have now and I'm like, how could I possibly have done so poorly? <laughs> yeah, I mean like how could know, I possibly a, have this little of this asset? <laughs> there's there's a lot of digital a lot of digital waste. A lot of digital waste. I'm happy to count um, myself among it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, man. Any last thoughts before we kind of close up or wrap up this topic, Colborn? I think it's a really productive conversation. Yeah, I had a lot of fun on this one. No, you know, I, I'm. If I wasn't clear, I welcome everybody back. You know, everybody has to lie in their own bed. So you know, and and everybody, I think, 
for better or for worse, for the most part, kind of reaps what they sell. And, you know, there's, there is, this is not black or white. This is incredibly gray. There's a million different opinions. Uh, what is interesting is that these tokens are sticky and they don't leave, right? So that has a memory unlike other things. And it'll be interesting over time to see how the market reacts to the memory of, of these artifacts that were left behind. For sure. And the people who are in crypto have been trained over the course of many years to be as, to have as strong a memory as the tokens themselves. So what you add to the space is remembered and what you extract from the space is remembered. Somebody somewhere will remember. And these narratives, you know, these memories need very, very little to get off the ground and to swallow you up if you've been advocating your responsibility. So yeah, this was a good podcast. I think we touched on a lot. This has been another episode of the Mocha Live podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please give us a subscribe or a follow or a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to see some of this really interesting, fun, thoughtful conversation in writing, please give us a follow on Substack at museumofcrypto.substack.com. We are, of course, at Museum of Crypto on Twitter. My name is Max Cohen. You can find me at, at Cohen the Writer. That's Coborn Bell. You can find him at, at Colborn, where the L is a one, so that's C-O-1-B-O-R-N. We'll be back real soon with another Mocha podcast, and we appreciate all of you for listening. So please take care, everybody, and uh, take care of each other. And remember, we remember. <laughs> you sure do. All right, adios. See ya. This podcast was edited and produced by me, Max Cohen. A big thank you as always to Coborn Bell for being my co-host. Thanks to Julian Brangold for composing our intro music and to Day Fox for composing our cold open theme. And of course, a big thanks to all of you for whom all of this is inspired by and created for. We really appreciate you being with us and we look forward to seeing you again soon on another Mocha podcast.